श्री गौरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए गौर प्रेम आनंदे श्री बालदेव पुणे महामोत्सव की जाए so we had a nice discussion this morning about the appearance of balaram big person significance of of his uh, appearance and measure of his influence which we only really touched the surface of but um was nonetheless interesting and as per our schedule then this evening I'll just entertain any questions you can ask questions about the subject at hand or any other topic Well, you mentioned this morning that Father David's appearance was Nitin on the Prabhu, that he was one of the responsible for starting the Sampradaya, not, not the, the Goswamis. Could you elaborate a little more on that? How Nitin and his associates? how Nityananda Prabhu started the Sampradaya instead of the Goswamis. Well, uh, yes, I did mention that. Um, and the history is that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Leela was manifest in Navadvip. Of course, first as a scholar and then as a devotee all at a young age and he was performing kirtan in in nadia uh, and nitananda prabhu came to nadia mm-hmm. he had actually left from ek chakra which is in the mandala the, the circle of goda the, the, of the pastimes of chaitanya mahaprabhu navadvip's kind of like the center of that but Nityananda Prabhu appeared in Ek Chakra and he left home at an early age with a sannyasi who came to the house of Hadai Pandit, his father. And the father entertained the sannyasi, hosted him, and he asked at the time of his departure if there's anything he could give him. He said, well, give me that son of yours. <laughs> so he followed the, the comparison that was given to um, Dasarath in Ram Leela, who was truthful and dharmic and therefore upheld his promise to his wife um, which as it turned out she asked him for a boon he had promised whatever you want I'll give you and she asked that Ram be banished to the, from the from the kingdom a day or so before its coronation so you can imagine what a bind Maharaj Dasarath was in but he was this is the brutal uh, kind of reality of the Ram Leela that the, the Dasarath and then more so even Ram were super uh, dharmic to the point that he realized that Ram must be God, nobody could be like that. <laughs> he wanted to perform uh, dharma, like just basic truthfulness, for example. Um, everybody can do it to one extent or another, I suppose, but given all the circumstances, the banishing of Sita at the end of the whole Leela after everything was resolved and so forth. And in this instance, early on, on the part of Dasarath, he was very dharmic, so he acquiesced, he, he, he lived up to his word, and he banished his son from the kingdom the day 
or so before he was to be coronated, and everybody, of course, in Ayodhya was um, overjoyed with the idea of Ram becoming the king. It's a long story in Ramayana, but <clears throat> the comparison is given. Hadai Pandit, the father of Nityananda Prabhu, living up to his word, he fainted that the thought of, of Nityananda being taken at an early age by the sannyasi, but the dharma was such that if a sannyasi came to your house and you hosted him and so forth, it wasn't uncommon to give a son. It's just like in the olden days, uh, people would have children for the purpose of the, the family unit. The family unit in a traditional sense was much more preserved than it is today. And so they would have children often too because we need a hand at the farm or if there was... Uh, um, enough resources, we'd have a son and he'd become a doctor and one would become a lawyer and one would become a priest. We'd have all our bases covered, so to speak. The family unit would be complete. We'd have a lawyer in our family, we have a doctor, we have a priest. So if we get sick or, uh, you know, close to death, we have the doctor. If we get any legal implications, we're saved. And if we commit any sins, <laughs> the priest's son is there to absolve us and so forth. So this is kind of the idea. So... Uh, and at any rate, it wasn't uncommon then to give a son for the priesthood, but this was an extreme uh, request in a sense. And anyway, he acquiesced, he gave the son, he passed out, uh, and Nityananda went traveling with the sannyasi. And um, he went many different places, and ultimately he arrived in Vrindavan, and he looked at all the temples, and he couldn't find Krishna. The deities were there, but... Well, some kinds of deities. Actually, the deities of Krishna and Radha and Krishna, they came very much under the influence of the Goswamis. But at any rate, he was looking at the temples, he couldn't find Krishna, and he, was, he had a feeling that Krishna must be somewhere else, in a more prominent way. Hmm? And so his heart and mind were drawn to Navadvip, and he arrived there. And that um, morning, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, a great person has arrived in Nadia, go and find him out. I had a dream last night, and a fellow came to my door, and, and he was uh, riding on a chariot with a palm leaf. This is a Balaram's chariot. It had a flag with a palm leaf. Palm? Palm? Hmm? Something like that. Decoration, yeah. It was drawn on it. And um, he came to my door and yelled at me, and... and uh, and uh, so, go and find him. And they went and looked for him. Haridas went, and others, they couldn't find him. And then Mahaprabhu said, I'll go and find him. And they went, came to the house of Nandanacharya, and there was Nityananda Prabhu sitting on the porch. And, and so they had their meeting there. And the devotees looked, and they saw them, and they looked as if they had seen Krishna and Balaram. So, <clears throat> so Nityananda Prabhu joined the group of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and... Um, he and Haridas would go out and, and chant in the streets and meet people and so forth. And there's the famous story of the Jagai and Madai. These were two famous um, criminals, really. And uh, the, the description of them is, is meant to say that, uh, that you couldn't commit more, um, couldn't be more impious than them. Hmm? It is said that the uh, assistant of Yamaraj, what is his name? Chitragupta, maybe? Chitragupta. Hmm? Chitragupta. Chitragupta. Hmm. 
he uh, enters the data, you know, of everybody's karma into the computer, and then he prints it out for Yamaraj, who then, you know, gives it the next life and so forth. And uh, he couldn't keep up <laughs> with recording the, the, the impiety of these two Jagai and So the, the point is that no one could be more impious, and they were, they were delivered. They were delivered by the grace of Nityananda Prabhu, who went to them, canvassed, asked them to chant, they abused him, stoned him, and so forth. And uh, ultimately, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came wrathfully to punish them, and Nityananda Prabhu reached up and stopped him and said, bless them instead, and so they were blessed. They became great devotees, and they lived on the bank of the Ganges, and they would, they would stay there and wash the feet of any Vaishnavas who came there and so for the rest of their life, chanting. So the point here is that this, there was something going on in, in Bengal hmm, before even Chaitanya Mahaprabhu met with the Goswamis. They were living in Ramkeli. <clears throat> they have, of course, an extraordinary history as well. Uh, their parentage was from South India, but moved to Bengal, Ramkeli, and they were working with the, the, the governor or whatever, the senator governor, I guess, in the Muslim, Muslim government. <clears throat> There's a story about that as well, something to the effect that he was building his tomb-to-be or something like that ahead of time, one of the biggest tomb, and so people were dying in the building of it this Muslim ruler. And um, something happened to the effect that, uh, what was it, that, uh, that um, he asked his assistant to go and get something. And his assistant had seen that the other previous assistant was asked something wasn't successful and had his head cut off, so he was pretty apprehensive. And so he kind of left and didn't come back. And, uh, and uh, sorry, I can't remember the details, but he went um, and he met Rup and Sanatan. And um, he told him the story and Rup and Sanatan asked about the, the, the Muslim leader and so forth, and they could understand what he wanted and how to fulfill just by hearing the story and they were very insightful. And so the fellow came back and he he gave what the what the ruler wanted and something like that. And he, he how did he figure that out? And sorry I can't remember the detail, it would have made it more interesting, but at any rate, when he told you he met these two boys, these two youths, young men, and they were young men, and so the king wanted to meet them. Muslim king, ruler. So he went, he met them, and they were extraordinary, and he wanted to engage them in the service of the government and so forth. So they were engaged there, and meanwhile, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's pastimes were going on. <clears throat> they didn't meet Chaitanya Mahaprabhu until he had gone to Puri, which means he had taken sannyas, went to Puri, and then he attempted to leave Puri and go to Vrindavan, and he went via Navadweep. He only got so far hmm, and had to return to Puri. And and in going only so far, he met Rupa Sanatan there. They had written him letters. They wanted to join him. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu wrote a letter back, said, don't... Uh, he said, if a lady falls in love, a married lady falls in love with someone else, she should perform her duties very nicely at home, so as not to be suspected. 
So it's a little bit political and spiritual, obviously, at the same time. In other words, these were difficult political times for Hindus because the Muslim reign uh, ruling and so forth was favorable sometimes, but they could cut your head off at any time too. There had already been trouble in Navadweep with the Sankirtan, the Kazi, had broken the Murdanga drum, clay drum like this, and forbid the Sankirtan, and uh, their uh, traveling between Puri and Navadweep was, was difficult. You could run into difficulty there. So uh, they were in the king's service, and the king liked you know, their abilities and, and so forth. The fact that they wanted to leave would not have um, gone over very well with Nawab Hussein Sah. So Mahabharu wrote him a letter like this, and it has the implications of parakia, obviously. It's, it's the, 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 the way which he told him, be careful, stay where you are. You can let your love for me rage. A time will come, an opening will come, but don't act as if... The, don't be agitated in such a way that they'll, the, the Nawab will be uh, suspect. So do your duties at home very nicely in the, in the government service. They did the best they could, of course. But anyway, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu did then um, meet with them and uh, cautioned them as well. And gradually they were able to extricate themselves from the Nawab's service. Sanatana was imprisoned, actually Rup got, got away, and then Sanatana bargained his way out of the jail and so forth, and he dressed himself like a Muslim fakir, and he traveled throughout India, finally met Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Banaras. So, the the point is that this all um, took place after the Sanyas Leela, and Mahaprabhu's preaching, and Nams and Kirtan, and so forth, was going on in Navadvip before that. And there were a lot of different impressions of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, ideas, theological ideas, insights, realizations about who he was, what was the significance of his appearance, what, what he was doing, and so forth. So Kavi Karnapur was a writer about him. Rari Gupta was an elder in, in school uh, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, very dear to him. He wrote a book about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who he was, the theological and spiritual significance of his appearance, and so forth. These were two um, uh, narratives uh, on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, his lila and this, the philosophical, theological significance of his appearance in Navadvip before the later writing of Chaitanya Bhagwat from the part of Vrindavan Das and the final work of uh, Krishnas Kaviraj, the Chaitanya Charitamrita. It was only the Chaitanya Charitamrita hmm, that was written under the tutelage of the Goswamis. Hmm. So uh, there was something percolating in Bengal hmm? with the hometown boy, Nimai Pandit, and then his kirtan and so forth. And it was before he took sannyas that Nityananda Prabhu made this uh, kind of bold statement because they were devotees and it was Kali Yuga and people weren't all receptive necessarily. And then um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was was in the ranks and he was so extraordinary in his love for Krishna. Sometimes they would wonder, is he Krishna himself? No, he couldn't be. And they would go in and out of this kind of thinking. So Nityananda Prabhu, Balaram himself, just came out with it in the way that I mentioned this morning. Bhaja Gauranga Kaha Gauranga Laha Gauranga Ernamure Yejana Gauranga Bhaja Seyamar Pranre. While Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught, worship Krishna, chant the name of Krishna, so forth. 
follow the teachings of Krishna. He said, our mission will be this. We'll chant the name of Goranga. We'll the teaching, give the teachings of Goranga. We'll worship Goranga. You, Chaitanya, you are Krishna. This is... So he, he brought it out in a bold way. He gave license then to these others to start writing about it and so forth. So he kind of pushed this into the, into the forefront. He had his group. They had uh, initiates and, and, and seats of, of uh, different places where they were appointed to, so to speak, where they, they had the jurisdictions and, uh, and so forth. Yeah, zones and... Uh, <laughs> And uh, and so on. So this was this was uh, was going on. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took sannyas, went to Puri, and his fame started to become spread and throughout India. Hmm? He started to travel, and so forth. And the, the ripple of the news of his extraordinary learning and devotion and so forth went throughout India. And so, the, as I say, he met the Goswamis. He schooled them. Rupa Goswami in um, where in Prayag and Sanatana Goswami in Banaras. And then he told him to go to Vrindavan, write books on uh, Vaishnava uh, Siddhanta, uh, excavate the places of Krishna's pastimes, where this Leela took place, where that Leela took place. They did that effectively and got patronage of big kings who would build monuments there and temples there and so forth. It's how the, all the, what are now ancient buildings were were really built up at that time, about 500 years ago, in Vrindavan. So, Chaitanya Bhakti really gave life to the Dham, Vrindavan, in you know modern times, 500 years ago. All the all the major old stone buildings are all coming from that time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. You can just imagine the kind of patronage that they that they were able to get. How modern and up-to-date they were because they were getting the leading kings, you know, to support their spiritual religious activities and so forth, give attention to Vrindavan. So they're very, very qualified. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had personally handpicked them, selected them. So they were writing about the significance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Krishna Leela and so forth in Vrindavan. Meanwhile, something was going on in Bengal, kind of in a more, in a kind of a freelance, spontaneous way, without any organization or any attempt to systematize the different theological, nuanced theological conceptions of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Vrindavan hmm? Das wrote about him, for example, in terms of the Yuga Avatar, Avatar coming to give the, give the name and Sankirtan and so forth, and the different ideas. They're all accurate ideas, but the full measure of his appearance is hinted about by Kavi Karnapur and a little something here and there. But this was really put together in a systematic way by the Goswamis and Chaitanya Charitamrita is kind of the final work of all of these numerous biographies we can see. He was a very extraordinary person. I mean, today if you have somebody writes, you know, the authorized, there may be the authorized biography about somebody and then the, the unauthorized one. Uh, but to have so many, half a dozen or so at the time, learned, these were learned people, obviously, they were liter, lit, lit, laureates, literate, literateurs, they were writers, <laughs> poets, thinkers, and so forth. Um, and um, they were all able to write in Sanskrit, and, uh, and of course, Bengali was the local vernacular. Um, um, and, and so, 
but the Goswamis, they they really uh, gave to Krishnadas, who Krishnadas Kaviraj, he was the author of Chaitanya Charitamrita. He went to Vrindavan at the with the blessing of Balaram, actually. He had gone to his father's house, uh, brother's house, and his brother had a gathering. And in the gathering, one of Nityananda's principal associates, the Dvadasa Gopal, the 12th Gopa, uh, Gopas, cowherds of Vrindavan, who came with him. In Gorlila, his name was Miniketan Ramdas. Miniketan came to the place. He used to travel freely and carry a flute and um, and he came to the place and the brother of Krishnadas, who was the host, showed him no respect and he could understand from that, oh, he has no respect for Nityananda. He respects Chaitanya but not Nityananda. So he broke his flute in that place, which is inauspicious. He broke it. Hmm? Kind of like a curse, like nothing good will happen here. And so Krishnadas Kaviraj, he saw that, and he, he he thought he could understand from the kind of the sign language of Miniketan Ramdas that my brother respects Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but not Nityananda Prabhu. This is this means he has no real respect for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He doesn't really understand the significance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He said this is like the logic, the half hen logic. A man had a hen, a chicken, and he he was making money from the eggs. And then he realized, well, I'm making money out of this hole that the eggs come out of, but there's another hole, the mouth, that costs me money. I have to put feed in that one. So I'll cut off the head, and then I'll just make the eggs. Of course, he went out of business very quickly. So this is called half-hen logic. <laughs> yes, so he said, if you worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but not Nityananda Prabhu, means you don't really understand that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Nityananda Prabhu was given him to the world, and so on and so forth. So he left that place, which was where he was living, and he just went out, homeless. Hmm? And he walked as far as he could and lay down and fell asleep. And then Tananda Prabhu, Balaram actually came to him in a dream, hmm? chanting Krishna, Krishna. He was surrounded by cowherds and, and a big garland swaying on his chest and so forth. And, and he blessed him, go to Vrindavan and all your desires will be fulfilled. So on the command of Balaram, hmm? he, he went to Vrindavan. Hmm? So he opens the way there as we discussed this morning. Hmm? And uh, Kaviraj Goswami got there, he got the association of the Vrindavan Goswamis and he wrote Chaitanya Charitamrita that that uh, duty fell upon him in his old age he wrote that. And there all the theology of the Goswamis was put in Bengali. Hmm? And then Srinivas, Shamananda, Narutam, they took this Chaitanya Charitamrita, some of the other Goswami's books, to Bengal. And they, especially with the Chaitanya Charitamrita, they, the effort was, and it was successful, to get everyone to embrace the Chaitanya Charitamrita, where all the different religious conceptions about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu were largely accommodated, and some heterodox ones were, were not, of course. Um, so, um, so, there was... This uh, Sankirtan of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was going on before the Goswamis got directly involved. Hmm? And it was with, uh, with the work of Chaitanya Charitamrita that uh, the Goswamis' conception of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to be the predominant conception. 
really after the disappearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And it was more or less kind of decided at Keturi Gram under the, under the auspices of, of Nityananda's consort, wife, Janavi, Janava. She presided there and uh, th- th- this was some years after Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's passing and people kind of finally got together again and so forth. And, and so they went on with this, like the, the, the book unified them all. So, uh, so Nityananda had already started something hmm? before the Goswamis, Rupsanathan were involved. Rupsanathan kind of put the final, final touch on the on the teaching, and um, and that became then orthodoxed Gaudiya Vaishnavism. That help? Oh, that's the history. So he he started it like that hmm? with kind of a boldness. I mean, it was, you know, it's a pretty bold thing. My friend is God. You know, he's not only God, he's Krishna, not only Krishna, he's not an avatar of Krishna, he's Krishna himself, and, and so on. Instead of worshiping Krishna, we worship him, that'll be as good or better. That's a pretty bold thing, just without any theology written or anything. You know, he just came out, this is what we're doing. <laughs> and, you know, on the strength of his enthusiasm, they went forward like this. And that's why he wanted... Nityananda Ram, for example, he wanted examples to to illustrate his point. That's why he was after the lowest of the of the people. He thought he he can deliver the lowest of people without any problem. In other words, in, other words, in, in the religious circles, well, people who weren't who were impious and so forth, the people would give up on others. The pious people would give up on them, or think it would take them a long time to. To become pure, what to speak of liberated, and what to speak of develop preem and so forth. He wanted to take the lowest people and give them preem immediately, and and then give Chaitanya Mahaprabhu the credit, hmm? and then he would just say by this, just see, you judge by the results. We don't have a whole, uh, you know, encyclopedia of writing coming from Nityananda Ram. <laughs> yeah, he went about it in a, in, a, in a different way, but it was very bold move. Hmm? And they were having trouble getting people to worship Krishna. Chant Krishna Nam, he wanted to say. We chant Gaur Nam. Hmm? And uh, so he started in this way, very, very bold. He's the, you know, he's the, he's like the, the personification of the Godhead in a serving mood, in a mood of serving himself. Therefore, uh, the Bhakta Abhiman the conceit, the ego of of a, of a devotee, has its origins in Balaram. Bhaktabhiman Mulsi Balaram. Yes. We were talking about Jagai and Radhai, and uh, similarly, Nityananda Prabhu would glance at somebody, and they become uh, full of ecstatic love for God. Uh, and people experience the same thing in association of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But still today we have uh, uh, Mahabhagavatas in, in, in our century, say. Uh, but that sort of thing uh, doesn't seem to take place. And how do we reconcile? What, why, why, um, why not? I mean, is there any anything that you can offer? It's just sometimes in Jagai and Rup- Rahai were so, were so bad, and, and, 
and uh, right on the spot they became pure devotees. Mm-hmm. Rupa Goswami explains in his Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu that one can attain bhava by sadhana or by kripa, by mercy, by the mercy of Krishna, by the mercy of devotee, through an internal blessing, through the words of Krishna, hmm? um, through a physical like touching or a devotee. He categorizes it in this, in this way. Um, so, it's possible the, the 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 perfection through kripa through mercy is the exception, and perfection through sadhana through spiritual practice is the norm. And obviously, the, well, the, the difference is that while in sadhana bhakti there will be some mercy, no doubt. Then we see in the examples of uh, kripa siddha we see no. No particular sadhana. Sometimes I think Rupa Goswami may have given Sukadeva Goswami as an example. No, he didn't perform any sadhana, no sangskara, no any, anything, no initiation. He immediately became a sage, so to speak, and immediately took to the took to the Bhagavatam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the point is that it's possible. And um, but but the um, examples of kripa siddhi are rare, and they had a much more significant place in a sense in in Gorlila and in, 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 in instances examples that you're talking about found in the sampradaya and establishing you know it's it's it's. Now, five hundred years later, Prabhupada had some difficulty establishing uh, Gaudiya Vaishnavism outside of India and giving it a giving it a uh, a name in the religious world and, and and so forth. You may wonder why he didn't perform some miracles to do that, and of course, we think he did. <laughs> so, but but so I, what I'm saying, I guess, is in kind of foundational work like that. There may be more of a more of a place for that. <clears throat> and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Nityananda Prabhu themselves, they're, uh, they're the, uh, the, the, like the, their appearances like been compared by Krishna Asgavaras to the sun and the moon itself. The Maladevijabhusan, the great Acharya in Gaudiya lineage, he does speak about a, the blessing of a glance of a Vaishnava by glancing. And about our Prabhupada, the most significant thing about his physical characteristic was his glance, actually. If he would look at you, it was very heavy, kind of a... He had the power to bless with his uh, with his glance. Not that everybody was developing preem on the spot and so forth, but he, he had an extraordinary um, power of, of uh, glancing and, and giving a blessing. <clears throat> so... I can't tell you why it doesn't happen more often. <laughs> it does happen sometimes, and we might think, well, it would happen all the time. People would believe in this more readily and they take it up and so forth. I suppose that's true, but also Gaudiya Vaishnavism is very, um, uh, in our lineage, is, is, is very much, um, uh, I don't want to say opposed, but plays down that kind of, that, that side. Hmm? Um, and emphasizes understanding the teaching and and um, 
kind of a philosophical, theological uh, conversion, sammandagyan, infusion of that, um, rather than attracting people by miracles. All kinds of people come in. Hmm. Then all kinds of people come. All you have to do is sit in the hollow of a tree here for a month, you know, and then they'll be coming and taking pictures and people will be making money out of it and so forth. And, and that's what happens when you find any hint of a miracle somewhere. It becomes a place where there's a lot of money to be had. So, um, so we kind of tend to play that down. Um, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasri Thakur was very strong about that because he would go and travel and come to a village and the villagers would say, oh, well, we have a Siddhababa in our place here and you should meet him and so forth. He would ask them, that Siddhababa, what, what Vaishnava are you serving under? And if they didn't have one, he would dismiss them. Uh, so the, his disciples would go in, in the village and they would say, we have a Siddhababa here and they would say, what... Um, you have only Siddha Alu means Siddha Alu means potatoes and Siddha also means cooked cooked potatoes. That's all you have. <laughs> Something like that. This is just a way of making a meal. This fellow is just a you know, getting a meal for himself and a few other people in the village here. So they they were a little heavy like that. And there's a lot of imitation when it comes to religion. Where we see that Kumbha Mela movie, there's all kind of crazy <laughs> things going on. Um so um so they emphasized Bhakti Thakur also, and and arguably, as the Goswamis of Vrindavan did, who wrote so many books, they wrote, they authored books. They they felt this was more significant. If you really have an understanding, realization, and put it down in writing, and then because someone can say something and do something, and then the next thing you know, they're they're contradicting themselves over here, and and so on and so forth, and they might have some power. Uh, and there's all kinds of powers that one can have. There's the famous story of the the fellow in Puri, when Bhaktivinoda Thakur was the magistrate, and there was a fellow who claimed himself to be Vishnu, and he had an attendant who was Brahma and another one who was Shiva. And um, and Vishnu was was asking the um, men in the area to send their wives to him, because hmm? he... He wanted to perform Rasalila. Of course, Vishnu doesn't perform Rasalila. Krishna does. So, so Bhaktivinoda says, wait a minute, there's some theological discrepancies here. <laughs> and that's the least of them. You know. uh, uh, so uh, he, knowing the philosophy hmm, of the Goswamis and so forth, then he, he could understand this is, this is, this is um, a cheating affair. And, but he had powers. And so he, he, Bhaktivinoda gathered up some pious people and said, we're going to go and arrest this man, you know, for, for whatever other crimes he's doing and so forth. Some of the husbands were complaining, I guess. And so they went to arrest him, and the people who went with Bhaktivinoda were, were intimidated by him. They said, we don't know. They say he's Vishnu. He's got all these powers and so forth. And when they got close, he went like this and threw down fire around Bhaktivinoda. And the others, as they cringed away, you know, Bhakti, you know, he just went forward and, he, and, he, and they arrested him. And they dragged him into the jail and there was a long court case, only in India. Then you, you know, try somebody for imitating Vishnu, <laughs> imitating God, so-called incarnation of God, and take him to court. So there was a whole court case for seven days. I think seven days. And, and, and in that seven days, Bhakti, you know, had a big family. He had like ten sons to ten children. And 
as the days went on, one after another, we got a fever, and then the wife got a fever, and high fever. And, you know, these were not times where he had every type of medicine available and so forth. So it was not uncommon for people to die of a fever, or typhoid, or whatever. Cholera, or what? what's the other one you get from the mosquitoes? Malaria, Malaria so forth. So... Um, then the last day of the trial, Bhaktivinoda came down with a fever also. And so this fellow was creating this. He had this power. But Bhaktivinoda Thakur prevailed and, and, and people wanted him to dismiss the case. It's Vishnu, can't you see? You know, he said no. And he convicted him. He was convicted and he was sentenced to jail. And when he went into jail, they cut off his hair. He had long dreadlocks and so forth. So he had some power in his hair. Yogic power in his hair, and then he fell and collapsed on the floor. And later, he committed suicide in jail, and hung himself. So it's unfortunate, but anyway, he wasn't Vishnu, is the point. So Bhaktivinoda prevailed. So this kind of miracles and all and siddhis, and there's a you know if you read Yoga Sutra for example, where the cities of yoga are described, there uh, there's a strong. Um, Emphasis on not being distracted by such. So, Gaudiya sect tends to be very, um, in our lineage, emphasis on the teaching and so forth, to get genuine understanding, uh, to combine the enthusiasm, the interest, the inclination to chant, for example, with philosophical uh, support. There's another example, acute example, is the the story of Prabhupada who ha- had a disciple in New York the early days of his mission and the disciple said that every time I chant a blue light comes and surrounds me. What should I think about that? And Prabhupada said, keep chanting, it'll go away. <laughs> so he wasn't quick to, you know, to play on people's imagination. And I've seen this Many teachers, they really play on people's imagination. If people have an imaginary idea, they just let them go with it and so forth and, and so on. So they were, Gaudiya people were, were quick not to do that. And uh, they wanted to systematically teach and not get cheap followers then who, 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 would, who might not have good character. And still, they would still get them, but... <laughs> <laughs> But uh, at least we have a system for, yeah, with theology and so forth to weed it out for those who have the ear and the sukriti to listen and understand. So there's not a strong emphasis on that side. <coughs> and and again, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Nityananda Prabhu, they are God themselves. So great devotees have power to bless, that's true. But... but uh, the measure of their blessing and capacity is what is highlighted and by it their godhood is underscored or brought out. There's, there's the two sides. When determining who's an avatar and who's not, then there have to be some extraordinary godly uh, prowess and there has to be some correspondence with the sacred texts and so forth. If they're teaching something separate from the text or there's no indication about them in the text, then it becomes questionable. Hmm? So, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, I mean, he was a sannyasi. He, was, he, he showed sannyasa, renunciation, one of, the, one of the aishvaryas, one of the six opulences, to such an extreme that 
these, he was only 25 years old, 24, 25 years old, these big old guys like Parmanandapuri, Keshava Bharati, Keshava Puri, and so forth, these were, there were nine of them. They're like the symbolic metaphorical roots to the tree of love of God planted by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? They were rooted in this detachment from the world. These were heavy guys. Brahmananda Bharati wore only a deer skin and so forth. And, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, made, his, his renunciation made them tremble. Hmm? They were old renunciates. And so, so he showed to an ex- extreme his uh, godly prowess and he taught systematically to the Goswamis who wrote about it and so on. So you could expect from Gaur Nityananda something something like that at the, at the formation of the whole sect more so than, than afterwards. That's some way to think about it. Another question? Yes? I was... Um Hearing from Jaiva Dharma, and it describes the setting where there's more people are into like the Shakti kind of faith than are into you know, and I'm, and this was taking place sometime after Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and I'm wondering why is it that so many more people were Shaktis than Bhaktis? Shaktas, Shaktas. than Bhaktas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well. Um, I think that answer is given in the Bhagavad Gita evam parampara praptam imam rajasha yogidu sakalena mahata yoganashta parantapa in time the teachings may be covered over and this is the material world so it's uh, as beautiful as it is it's a hard sell you're selling a serving ego to people who have are very strongly rooted in an enjoying ego for eons since forever. So in a, in a land of untruth, it's in falsity, it's hard to sell truth, or to speak of the highest truth. So maybe people gravitate, gravitate towards a partial truth, a truth that will help me in my falsity. <laughs> so, so pray to God for help to, do, to increase my material, improve my material situation and so forth. And, and, um, and so goddess worship of Devi in Bengal, uh, it was popular at the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Chandi and so forth. And, um, they did the Sankirtan at Chivas house and worshippers of Devi, they tried to um, tried to stop that, hmm. offended Shivas and so forth, so even at that time. So that um, uh, Navadweep itself during the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the descriptions of it by Vrindavan Das Thakur um, are elaborate of how the measure of impiety there and the lack of interest, that's a symptom of Kali Yuga. Hmm? So it, it doesn't, as we see, it doesn't go away. It's, it has its time, its place, but there's a place for divine dispensation in Kali Yuga as well. Namkirtan is the dispensation for Kali Yuga. So they're always going to have these, the two sides. So as at the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, so at the time of Bhakti Vinod. And you can say that the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu then that came to uh, the, 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 the Bhakti side was uh, given a great uh, push, so to speak, uh, popularity and so on and so forth. But over over 500 years then we find 
material life, the nature of the age and so forth comes on. Hmm? Teachings can get distorted and so forth. And Bhakti Vinodakura was very much involved in that, sorting out the actual teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu from heterodox misrepresentations of the teaching. And um, and so, as I say, evam paramparapraptam, that means that yoga nashta parantapa, the teaching, the yoga, can become nashta, can become obscured. And therefore, the remedy for that is the reappearance of the Godhead in the form of the parampara. So Bhaktivinoda Thakur is a major player in the parampara, do you understand? Therefore, sometimes he's referred to as the seventh Goswami. People around him, literate, literate people, a famous uh, writer for the Calcutta paper, uh, coined the term for uh, Bhaktivinoda, for Bhaktivinoda name, the seventh Goswami. Because the, the, his work had a parallel to that of the Goswamis. They were sorting out what is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and establishing the Sampradaya and writing so many books and so forth. And he was doing the same thing 500 years later. And they uncovered Vrindavan. He uncovered Navadweep, the birthplace of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and, and so on. He wrote 100 books and so many poems and songs and, uh, and, um, sorted out what was the real line of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And then he not only did that, but then he turned towards modernity in the modern world. And so it began the interface with Gaudiya Vaishnavism with the modern world. It brings us to you know, where we are today. He envisioned that. So huge, I mean huge player in the Parampara. And a player like that will appear at a time of great necessity. So he describes the time, and Jayavadharma is kind of describing the time in which he, he appeared, and there were competing ideas out and about the Devi worship for material purposes. It was quite uh, quite popular. Yes. In this regard, if I if I may, we don't call them shakti, but if you look in the Western world, there are unlimited churches, and they're all about material things. They're right about that, but then fulfilling material desires is not to be all and end all of life. <laughs> that's where they that's where they miss it up, miss the point. There's the Purvami Mamsa and the Uttarmi Mamsa. Purvami Mamsa is the greater part talking about religion. Therefore, in the Gita says what? Nistrai gunya babarjuna. Mostly the Vedas are about the gunas, about living within the gunas, within the modes of nature. Hmm? But what I'm teaching you, Arjuna, is something that's transcendental to that. So, rise above the gunas. This is Vedanta. Hmm? That's up, that's what we find in Upanishad. What does Upanishad mean? Upanayana, the same thing. You get the thread, Upanayana, Upanishad. means come close, Sit close, the implication being, I'll tell you a secret. Not everybody's ready to hear that. Hmm? People want to hear how to increase and improve, enhance their material situation. Not that material progress is an oxymoron. All of our junior's arguments were on that side. At first. Then later, forget that. Started That's right. That help, Kolok? Yeah. yeah. Was um, Bhaktivinoda 
considered like Jacques Duvet's by his contemporaries? Jacques Duvet is, is uh, I think, um, was, I think, used by Sridhar Maharaj in relation to Prabhupada in a broad way. Mm-hmm. Hmm? In a in a in a in a broad way, and um, in the broadest broadest sense, then the guru is an empowered representative of Krishna. But we don't tend to call every guru a Shaktivesh avatar either. Um, so nobody referred to Bhakti Vinod Thakur like that. As Yajjabar Maharaj and Sridhar Maharaj, they said, I think. Shaktivesh, something like that. But when they were asked, then Sridhar Maharaj was asked details because there are different kinds, there's two different basic types of Shaktivesh given in Chaitanya Charitamrita, Lagu Bhagavatamrita, Rupa Goswami, and so forth, to really look at the term in a refined sense. And he said, well, what I mean by it is that, that he, he was empowered by Nityananda Prabhu. I think that Nityananda Prabhu came and lived in him and did his work and, and so forth. So Nityananda Vesh. Um, and we can go with that. Um, no, 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 no harm. But no, it wasn't. Um, but to call him the seventh Goswami is to say something very extraordinary about him, nonetheless. What else? Yes. Uh, what is the book called that Bhakti Nataka wrote about Navadvipa? Navadvipa Mahatmya. Yes, that one. In that book, <coughs> Nityananda Prabhu was traveling with Jiva Goswami. And I don't, I don't really remember if he goes into trance or if he just comes out, but he starts screaming and yelling for Subala and Sridham and talking about how he can't hurt, hurt cows alone. And I was just wondering... Who does? Nityananda Prabhu? Yes. I was wondering if that ever happens to Balaram or happens to him in Raj. Like, it just seems like... Because if it doesn't, it seems to me like one is coming through because it seems like Brudge is like the original... And Nabatweep is just sort of like an emanation if that can come through in Nabatweep, but Nabatweep mentality can't come through in Brudge like that. Like, I don't understand. The Nabatweep mentality doesn't come through in Brudge. Well, it seems like he's, he's dispensing love of Krishna in Nabatweep, but he, you know, he's emerged in that sweetness in Brudge. But if he, if he takes on a different sort of, like he takes on the Brudge mentality just for a moment, I don't understand why that can't happen to him in Brudge, because if, if it can't happen, then it seems... What can't happen in Brudge? Things that Nityana Prabhu does. Just him, him doing that at, um, in Brudge momentarily. Well, I'm not clear what you're asking, but in Brudge, Krishna and Balaram are herding cows together all day long. If Nityananda Prabhu is in Gaurilila, and he then goes into a trance of... In Brajlila and calls out the names of the cowherds and so forth. He's um, experiencing something like you can say that Leela and some separation. But what is the? That is what they're doing daily in Vrindavan. So I don't understand any point. What it, would you expect him to? Well, they're, they're both original and non-different. So why can't? Why can't Why can't Balaram and Gorlila call out for something in, in Krishna Leela Call out for something in Gorlila? Yeah. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, I was asking if that can happen, and if it can't. Mm-hmm. Well, it does happen in the Krishna Leela, of course. Gaur Leela has its origins in Krishna Leela. The whole of Gaur Leela comes from Krishna Leela. 
Gorlila is 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 uh, in the Rasalila, then Krishna saw the measure of Radha's love exceeded his own experience of love, and so he wanted to taste that love, and this is then the genesis of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? So Gorlila begins there; it's born there. In the words, Chaita Krishna wants to taste the love of Radha, but he can't because he is the he is the object of her love and she is the re, the reservoir of that love he wants to be in her position so he finds some difficulty with his own leela in terms of experiencing the fullness of himself as the king of love and so another leela manifests in order to facilitate that that's what's called gor leela so gor leela is really this extension of the krishna leela what krishna leela how krishna leela fell short for krishna hmm? This is made up for in Gorlila. So it's not a shallow thing, the Gorlila, from Krishna's perspective. It's it's it has it says everything in, in Krishna Lila and and that which which he couldn't couldn't get there. Hmm? So those are the ambitions, the three ambitions of, of Krishna that uh, are the are the basis of the Gorlila, internal reasons for his experience, for his for his uh, descent. So in that sense, the Gaur-lila occurs in Krishna-lila. But it's a very special thing. It means Krishna wanting to take the position of the the uh, ashray, the, the ashray lambana, the, 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 the reservoir of love, rather than as the, in the position as the uh, object of love. So in that sense, it has its origins. But otherwise, no, there's not a constant Crossover because Gorlila is also then Navadweep in Gorlila we call it Sadhana Siddhabhumi. So, what is the Leela there? Hmm? The Leela there is is a Leela of Sadakas. They are Siddhas, but they are perfect souls. But they are acting as practitioners. That's the play. Leela means play, so it's a drama. They are all Siddhas, but their roles are as sadhakas, and so they're doing the sadhana. That's what they do. And in the context of the sadhana on Krishna, Leela, Krishna Namas, they get the full experience. Whereas in Krishna Leela, they're not doing that. They're not doing any sadhana to experience Gaur Leela. Hmm? So that's the nature of the Leela. Gaur Leela is such that it affords them the experience of Krishna Leela, hmm? the way it's set up. It's it's sada, it's it's the bumi the land, where sat where siddhas play as sadhakas, hmm? and so they have to taste perfection, because that's what sadhakas seek to do. That's the whole leela. So in the sadhana of the, the, the leela of a sadhaka, they taste the perfection, but in the leela of the perfection, how they will taste the sadhana? <laughs> that's backwards. Do you understand? Hmm? So. It doesn't cross over like that. But, as I point out, the genesis of the whole of Gaur-lila is in Krishna-lila. As far as deep as you can go into Krishna-lila, this is that in Rasa-lila. After Krishna has left the Rasa-lila, the gopis have come after him. And after he's gone with Radha, then he leaves Radha and so forth. And the gopis catch up with Radha and they see her separation. And he's witnessing this, Krishna, from behind the tree. And he's... he's, he's, he's feeling some necessity. Hmm? 
is born from this. This is the genesis of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? So in that sense, Gaur-lila is found in Krishna-lila, and then you go deep into Gaur-lila, and you find Krishna-lila, and so... So, what else? Yes? Um, could you explain the teaching of the Lila of Balaram Balaram's um, Leela of dragging the Jamuna with his plow. This is uh, briefly, but this is uh, this occurred in the context of Krishna sending Balaram to Vrindavan to deliver a message to the inhabitants. He had already sent Uddhava earlier from Mathura, but Uddhava, he's not a Brajbasi, so it's difficult for him to really communicate the message and even understand it. In fact, he ended up thinking, I got sent here to be schooled myself in devotion. Hmm? And he is Shastravit, he's Krishna's advisor in Dwarka, and he would advise, of course, according to the Shastra, so he was very learned. The idea is, well, that manmana bhavamadbhakto, this is the end of all knowledge, just be my devotee. And So he saw that in Vrindavan, he was overwhelmed by that. He, went, he used to walk around for a couple months just chanting certain verses in praise of the gopis, and he came back to Dwarka, a new man, so to speak, thinking that the intensity of their devotion, he had never seen anything like that. So he ended up getting schooled. Eventually then, Balaram was sent, and of course he's a Brajbasi, so he could, there's a better, better, better emissary, so to speak. So this is the context in which that Leela appeared. And um, it's, it's, um, he, when, he, when he ended up speaking to the gopis, of course, then he spoke to Krishna's gopis. And the gopis of Krishna, they he represented Krishna to them. He shared their message, Krishna's message and so forth. And um, his intimate association with them was all in, only in the context of representing Krishna. Very chaste to Krishna, like the guru. Then there's a famous Daoji deity in Vrindavan, and he's black. But it's described in the scriptures that Krishna's Balaram, is, his complexion is white. Vedamatra. Hmm? There's the difference between Krishna and Balaram only in terms of color. Otherwise, they're the same. It's, and of course, the color is, means emotional content, too. There's a, there's a color that corresponds with emotion. So they're emotionally somewhat different. Vaibhav Prakash, Balaram. Hmm? Uh, so. Uh, then how have a black deity <laughs> of Balaram? So it, 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 it means that in this Leela, he so much represented Krishna that he turned black. Hmm. Uh, so uh, he, he, he never, those gopis like Radha, so they belong to Krishna. There's no question of Ram having um, romantic love with them. No, he served them and represented Krishna. So, this is an important theological point, and in the context of that, we find that Balaram has his own uh, gopis, but his relationship with them is is different. It's it's called maryada, 
So it's not rag. It's not rag bhakti, but um, it's married life and so forth. It's described nicely in, by Jiva Goswami also that um, when Balaram returned from uh, Dwarka on Krishna's behalf and so forth, then Nanda Maharaj was concerned about all these girls from the youth. Who, and so there was an arrangement made for the marriage of Balaram with with a different set of gopis. And that lila that you're talking about, where he's drinking the Varuni beverage and getting drunk, and so to speak, and dancing with the, um, the ladies there, they're all his own gopis. That is not the primary... This is not what the Goswamis highlight about Balaram. They highlight his sakirasa with Krishna. This is Ragmarg. His relationship with these gopis, that is not the highest kind of side, if you will, of Balaram, whereas Krishna's relationship with Radha is the highest side of Krishna. Hmm? Because this is in, in, in <laughs> because when Balaram is in relation to Krishna, then hmm, you understand, he's, he's a, as the friend of Krishna, this is a higher thing than his relationship as the object of love for as a particular as a, as an as a as an expansion of Krishna for with other devotees. So anyway he's with them at that time. And many things to be said, but um but he um he wanted that he commanded the the river Jamuna to come over to him. He didn't want to move because he was, you know, you get drunk and you want to sit down and just <laughs> command the world, you know. So she didn't want to move, and so he took his plow, is the idea, and dragged the Jamuna. And then the Jamuna personified came and paid her respects and, and so forth. And, but this is kind of on the outskirts of the bridge also. It's not in the center there. So there he, there he has his plow. Generally, as I said the other day, Balaram is accompanied by his buffalo horn, he has a flute too, all the cowherds have flute, but he's more known for playing the buffalo horn and Krishna's playing the flute. So Krishna will knock everybody out with the flute. The cows will stop chewing their cud and milk will flow from their udders and the rivers will turn like land and the land will start to melt and flow like a river and so forth. His flute causes this kind of uh, confusion. For the gopis, they hear it, they hear their names, they go and go and meet him. Hmm? So, so Krishna charms and stuns everybody and Balaram calls them to serve. So when his horn blows in the morning, all the cowherds wake up and come to the courthouse, courtyard of Nanda Maharaj and the day begins and so forth. So his is like a call to, to save Indasya, Sakya, Patsalya, Rasa. And uh, Krishna's flute then that's what brings the gopis, the fifth note, to life, to meet him in the night when everyone else is asleep. <laughs> so there, anyway, he's bearing the plow, Haldar. Um, I had said that he has a, a uh, relationship with agriculture through Rohini. Someone asked me about that. 
but uh, uh, Rohini was one of the wives of Vasudev. I believe that she has a, a mixed parentage that made her suitable for living in the Braj, hmm? where a queen like uh, like Devaki would, couldn't live amongst the cowherds. Hmm? But I couldn't find any evidence. But uh, but it doesn't seem to be no evidence to the contrary either. But um, but Rohini also is the is it presides over as I think I mentioned this morning agriculture. So in that sense, in the least. But also also by way of she lived in the Braj as a cowherd. Hmm? So we judge by. By one's activities, so to speak, rather than by their birth, is another. Even if she had a chetriya birth, hmm. so Balaram is an agriculturalist and equipped with plow. <laughs> so, what else? Yes. Lalita Saki, she's asking. I was wondering if you could explain how uh, Sutta Goswami came to speak to Bhagavatam. Since Balaram killed his father, then Shukadeva spoke to Parikshit at least a hundred years later. Right, well, um, Sutta Goswami was blessed with a long life. <laughs> his father had been blessed for the, to preside over a thousand year sacrifice. So, when his father was dismissed from that good, inappropriate activity, then his son, who has said the father is born again as the son, was placed on the um, dais. And the same blessing was extended to him. Hmm? So we don't have any record of it, per se, but repeatedly throughout the Bhagavatam, it is mentioned repeatedly in the first canto and uh, again in the twelfth canto and, and I think somewhere in between as well it is mentioned that Sutta Gosami was present during the speaking of the Bhagavatam on the part of Sukadev to Raj Parikshit. So somehow or other he found his way over there. It was a big event after all. Parikshit Maharaj was not a, just a king. Hmm? You know, these were kind of like feudal times, if you will, to use a European term. And there were many kingdoms. But the uh, Parikshit was like emperor. So, so many kings were under him. So when the emperor was cursed to die in seven days, and he was a great uh, devotee as well, a Raj and a Rishi, and he went to the bank of the Ganges to fast for seven days and nights. This was a huge event, and therefore it's described that people from all over India, of all different persuasions, religious persuasions, came. And uh, he had the question, what will I do? What, is the, what should one do at the time of death? How should, one conduct, how should one conduct oneself in life in general, and particularly at the time of death? And so everyone came to witness what answers would come, or to offer some answers, and so on. So we can only imagine that news went everywhere, and that Sutta Goswami also went and participated. There's no description of how he went there, and, and, and so on and so forth. But we know he had a blessing to live a long life, 
And um, we know this was a big event, and we know that the Bhagavatam says in two, three, four times perhaps that Sutta Goswami was present during the speaking. Uh, Sutta himself says it. So we have his own testimony. He was there. And apparently then he came back and and uh, continued to preside, whatever, over the sacrifice. And and he brought the speakers the, or the inquirers, uh, Sonoka and others, to a, another level of of interest. We hear the Bhagavatam begins with this uh, him presiding over a thousand-year sacrifice, and I've said that he elevated their level of their interest. Um, we could say that the level of his own interest was also elevated by the gathering um, on the Ganges shore when Sukadev appeared and spoke the Bhagavatam, and he returned with that, and then the questions, the nature of the questions reached a certain pitch, something like that. Hmm? Such that the Bhagavatam was, this is what he came, this is what, if we study the Bhagavatam, this is what he was going to speak to them. This is what they, their questions uh, brought out, so to speak. Um, they, they, they were, the proper answer to their questions would be to speak the message of the Bhagavatam. So he records the history of how he'd heard it. Hmm? So you want to say a hundred years later, but he had a thousand-year benediction for something like that. Does that help? Yes or no will be good. <laughs> or more. Uh, sometimes these um, the histories in these books are less than what we might expect in terms of a very accurate chronological account uh, from one event to another to another, which Western history is, is, is concerned with, getting the dates right and so forth. So Indian history, was, in these type of texts at least, which were the history books at one time in India, weren't recorded with that in mind. The feeling of the time uh, was sought to be recorded and so it's written in poetry and and so on. So you're going to find sometimes these kind of, with your modern Western historical mind, some questions like that. I hope this answers that mind. <laughs> but uh, we don't know exactly how, but he says he was there. So he must have been. And with a thousand-year life, it's, I guess it's it's, it's possible. But it's it's not the best thing to... I mean, it's understandable that we would ask questions like that. I don't fault the question at all, but but uh, it's worth saying that, that those kind of questions are, may not be as valuable as we might think they are. Hmm. Take the message and go beyond history. Go beyond day and night. That's the idea. <laughs> Turn night into day, day into night. It's talking about a land where all all things are possible, mm-hmm. and we're in a land where only certain things could maybe are possible, and that's the problem. <laughs> so then we kind of import that into our study of the Bhagavatam and make it less less believable, perhaps. But you know, we are Western people; we have this the problem of rational minds and. 
you know, and we have we have enthroned reason, you know, on the altar, and uh, it doesn't belong there. <laughs> it is its place, but not on the altar. So, Bhagavatam likes to give a good bashing to the to the intellect. Not to, not that it should be retired, no, but it, it should be used to assist us in our uh, in, in transcendence of itself. What else? So we probably what is it? Quarter to eight. Quarter to eight. Don't we we're supposed to stop at seven thirty, right? Hmm? No, we, we could. <laughs> well, <laughs> the article is at well, six. Yeah, yeah. Instead of six thirty. Right. So, okay. <laughs> so I've actually gone fifteen minutes over. All right, so we'll stop there. We'll gather again in the morning at 10.30 Pacific time. <laughs> Bhagavat time, right? 10.30 a.m. Sri Bali Puni Mahamutsvatiti ki jai, Kod Bhaktavrinda ki jai, Kod Premanande.